Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. It's been a very interesting uh, week here in Minneapolis and a very difficult one to process as we are all going about um, praying desperately for our city and the people who have been involved in the loss of uh, of George Floyd and the condolences to his family and got a beautiful letter from our president, uh, Dr. Alan Curitan, and he was just his heart. He said, my heart and soul are crushed with grief. What happened to George Floyd on Monday evening was unjust and evil done in plain sight. It was shameful, disgusting, and disheartening. The video of the event was difficult to watch. I kept crying out, please show him mercy. I was in shock. I was angry. Mr. Floyd's death was unjust, pure and simple. It should have never happened. Yes, it did, and I fear it may not be the last. People in this nation should not live in fear because of the color of their skin. People in this nation should not live in fear of authority, especially those who have been appointed to serve and protect If we truly believe as a nation that all are created equal, endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, then why does this behavior continue to happen? We know why it happens, because there is evil in this world. As professing followers of the living Savior, we are commanded to act justly, reflect mercy, and walk humbly with our Lord. In faithful obedience of this instruction from Micah 6.8, we must speak out against all types of evil and peacefully ensure the protection of our neighbors if we don't speak out who will let us unite against the injustices perpetrated upon our neighbors let us unite as followers of christ to be the voices with the loudest message to love our neighbor as christ loves his church throughout history we have seen how the voice of one person can change the course of history so ask the lord for wisdom and guidance commit your actions to his glory And then let your voice be heard. I'd like to play a message that we just received uh, from Dr. Tony Evans, who's on the Faith Radio Network. And then my guest, Dr. Alex McFarland, will be joining us. Hello, friends. It would be remiss of me to not say something about the events that have uh, affected us all uh, recently in light of what's happened in Minnesota with the loss of the life of George Floyd. It was tragic to see this man's life ebb away as it did. In God's kingdom, two things must always be held side by side without them tilting either way. Psalm 89 says, from God's throne comes righteousness and justice. You never choose righteousness or justice. You always have to have them walk as twins side by side. Righteousness is God's moral standard of right and wrong based on what he has revealed. Justice is the equitable and impartial application of God's moral law in society. God wants us to be right with him, but he also wants us to be right with each other. And whenever we choose between the two, then we miss the heart of God. God is concerned about the life in the womb. 
the right to life of the unborn. But he's also concerned about justice to the tomb. God is interested in a whole life agenda, not a term agenda. And what this situation has manifested is the brokenness of our nation on a lot of levels. Yes, we have individuals' decisions being made, but we also have a culture in crisis based on a crisis history that has gone largely unaddressed as it needs to be addressed fully in our personal lives and in the systems that operate in the culture. But at the core of all of this is a spiritual problem. And that's why the church has got to be the leader in fixing it. In fact, it is the church to a large degree, maybe the largest degree, that caused it. Our failure to be the comprehensive people of God with righteousness and justice has opened the door for many of the things we've not been able to resolve and for much of the hopelessness that comes from it. God is waiting on the church because if he could ever fix the church house, he could do something at the White House and the House of Congress and the governor's house and all the other houses of society and culture that need healing and help. But if we have defined our faith by Sunday only and not by Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as well, then we've missed the heart of God and we've missed what the church has been called to do in representing the kingdom of there in the chaos down here. So whether it's the loss of a life in Minnesota or the loss of many lives in Chicago, whether it's the hopelessness that breeds this, whether it's racism or discrimination or inequity or irresponsibility, whatever it is, that's a spiritual issue. And that means that we've got to set a new atmosphere. We've got to set a new environment. And the church has got to step up and speak up. This is not a time for silence. This is a time for clarity in love. The scripture calls it speaking the truth in love. It's time now for the church of Jesus Christ to speak with one voice about justice and righteousness. And to do so with healing in our hearts. That that must be the goal. And yes, even where forgiveness is appropriate, that must be the goal. Because if we don't do it, the society can't do it. That was Dr. Tony Evans, and I'm now joined by Dr. Alex McFarland, who is a uh, Christian apologist, author, regular guest of the show, evangelist, and he's a culture analyst. Alex, welcome. Well, thank you, Bill, and thank you for playing that. Uh, it was, uh, you know, kind of lengthy for live radio, but that is so important. I've heard that twice today, what Dr. Tony Evans said, and I thought it was incredibly well-worded, well-reasoned, and very appropriate for the moment uh, that we're in, don't you? I do indeed. I appreciate uh, that very much, and I appreciate you coming on the show as well. Uh, Minneapolis is in a real need of healing right now. Uh, yeah, I got to tell you, you know, as I've been watching events unfold this week and then, of course, escalating into the protests, rioting, looting, instantly I thought about you, Bill, and Faith Radio. And obviously, we're praying, our board and staff are praying for Minneapolis and St. Paul. And 
let me just say our condolences. I'm so sorry that your city is the epicenter of, first of all, this tragedy and now this violence. I appreciate that, and I covet the prayers because our our city's had a lot of uh, fire, a lot of buildings have burned down, and a lot of looting, and there's uh, it's not over. I mean, I think there's probably yeah, it, more tonight. Yeah. I know there's been like 27 Target stores closed because all over the town. I think there's six have opened up, but there's a lot of things that are closed and boarded up. Well, well, I, you know, I've been wondering this, and, and I've just got to ask. I mean, you and your staff, are you all okay? Uh, where, where is this in in relation to where you all live and serve? We're uh, in, about uh, six, eight miles from downtown Minneapolis, so uh, it it got pretty close to this the studio. There was uh, some outrage going on at a at a mall about half a mile from here. So, but that that got under control. So we didn't, yeah. we didn't suffer too much from that. But it was, uh, there's, it, you drive through uh, the city, and there's just this gigantic cloud of black smoke over the over the city from all the fires. My goodness, my goodness. You know, um, it, it really is sad. And there is an answer. We know, we know the answer is the Lord. Our nation needs the Lord. Yes. But I, I've I've got to say this that. Um, the the frustration is is understandable. I mean, um, the film clip. I mean, it, it was just incredibly painful to watch because it, you know, in spite of where we are in the 21st century, um, deep in our heart, I mean, I think we all know human life is sacred. Mm-hmm. I mean, and to see somebody you know suffer like that and just um, abuse and then a death, a murder. Really, I mean, deep in our psyche, deep in our soul, we know that is wrong. And, but at the same time, it's hard to hard to say. But um, violence is wrong. There's there's no saying two wrongs don't make a right. And as as frustrated as people might can be, and you know, very often anger just leads to outburst, and and you all are experiencing that. Um. Anarchy doesn't really solve anything. It really doesn't. Our nation, and you know, this is probably not not the right time to spend much time up on a soapbox preaching. But we we have to restore our moral compass. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, Bill. This is the weekend that observant Jews around the world uh, celebrate Shavuot. Shavuot is the celebration of the giving of the law uh, on Mount Sinai. God gave His law. To Moses, we call it the Ten Commandments, and all around the world, Jewish people celebrate that, and they they eat, they read. Many will read um, the Torah, the, the five books of Moses, all night long over Saturday night. Uh, they virtually always read the Book of Ruth, and one of the one of the great lessons of Shavuot. I had a Jewish friend tell me this today: is the call to learn. First of all, most predominantly, learn the Word of God. Uh, but at a time of, you know, we, we're seeing the effects of lawlessness. Um, it's interesting on this weekend of Pentecost and weekend of the celebration of the giving of God's law, how much we're reminded that we need to know and live by and pass on God's law, don't we? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, a question that got asked in the previous hour, and I think it's worth addressing with you, uh, because this might be not only a perfect storm for what's going on in Minneapolis, but, I mean, we've just suffered weeks of weeks of lockdown. And the question is, uh, why would we be surprised by this extreme civil unrest, particularly among the poor and disenfranchised? There seems to be a disconnect between affluent Christians and the effect of the lockdown on the poor. Well, you know, it really boils down to the state of the family. And and I want to say this, you know, um, when when people are, you know, affluent or successful, um, you know, it's a blessing from God. It really is. And I, I do believe with with prosperity and affluence comes the really the privilege of, of helping others. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. But um yeah, I, I want to say this carefully right now. The the wealth of the world is not a finite pie, and 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 I say that, Bill, because when, whenever I speak at universities, very often there is this assumption that if I have a meal tonight, correspondingly in some other part of the world, somebody else has gone hungry. If I'm able to pay my rent. That means automatically somewhere somebody is not able to pay their rent, and that's not how um, wealth works at all. Um, I will say this. The reason that America's inner cities have been so impoverished and the reason that there are young people, especially young males, that travel in gangs and learn to make their way through life by violence has been not because some have – but because of the breakdown of the family, I mean, just think for 50 years, liberal social policies have incentivized the breakdown of the family. And in public schools, we're not allowed to talk about morals or the Ten Commandments. And, you know, I've got to say this, the the 44-page Dred Scott decision that the Roger Taney and the Supreme Court in the 19th century tried to say that Blacks were not persons, they were property. And of course, Abraham Lincoln worked hard and other great leaders to get, you know, reverse that horrid line of thinking. But the the wording of the Dred Scott decision is eerily similar to the wording of Roe versus Wade in 73, just as they tried to legitimize um, not giving rights to blacks because they said, well, they're not persons. We don't recognize the rights of the unborn because they say, well, we're not persons. Mm -hmm. That's the very same argument that the Nazi war criminals made at Nuremberg. How could you justify the killing of the Jews? Well, we decided they weren't persons. Whenever a group of elites tries to, against moral knowledge, adjudicate who is and who aren't persons, we're on dangerous ground. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Alex, let me take a short break. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest, and we'll be right back. Alex McFarland is my guest, and he's a regular guest on the show. And every time you come on, Alex, you've got a just a loving perspective. And I know that as a city, we have to start uh, praying and reaching out and finding ways to heal. And I know you speak to a lot of uh, you speak to the younger generation. 
in your uh, Truth for New Generation conferences, and um, mm-hmm. I am uh, I'm encouraged that you're speaking to them at, at a young age and telling them the truth. Well, you know, young people are hungry for truth. They really are. Um, I think what they want to see among grown-ups is is genuineness and authenticity. And uh, we, uh, as as everybody probably knows, over the last ten weeks, we haven't done a lot of traveling because of the lockdown and the quarantine and all that. But mm-hmm. we, we are doing a live webcast. And um, if I could be so brazen, Please. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, eleven a.m. Eastern. So Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, eleven a.m. Eastern, on my Facebook page, the Rev. REV, Rev. Alex McFarland, we are um, doing a live webcast every, you know, every three times a week. And every Friday, I give away a book. We've been having, you know, 3,000 up to 9,000 people watch the live webcast, which, you know, we just just started, you know, seven, eight, nine weeks ago. Uh, Gave away a book this morning, Stand Strong in College. And uh, so young people, that they need truth. And they need to know the truth about our nation, how we really were – we were founded on the biblical worldview. And so we we lose that worldview at our peril, and we're, we're seeing the loss of it. Bill, I, I've got to ask you this. I know you're, a, you're an insightful thinking Christian too. Uh, are we too far gone in your opinion, Bill? I mean are, are we, we – we know the Lord can do anything. We know that. But um, as uh, as Blaise Pascal said so many years ago, God goes where He's wanted, and uh, I just um, I know people acknowledge that America is not where she ought to be. But do we want God back in our nation, or are we just so far gone we can't even? think that way anymore. What do you think, Bill? I, I see more obstacles than I can ever remember. Yeah. I remember in, yeah. in, in the 70s, you could sit down with the four spiritual laws and go through it, and someone would say, great, can I pray to receive Christ right now? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, you know, just shortly before the pandemic, uh, I was in uh, a very famous national coffee shop, and I was meeting there with a couple of Christian men and doing some consulting to help a church. They just wanted to pick my brain a little bit. And so there was a lady, and she said to us, um, she said she had to use the restroom. Um, would we mind watching her computer while she went to use the restroom? And we said, okay, sure, yeah, we'll watch your stuff. So she came back, and uh, she said, you guys just like, look like nice guys. I just didn't mind you watching my stuff. And we said, hey, happy to do it. And so I said, hey, um, we, we're we just, um, I'm from a, a ministry called Truth for New Generation, and we were just talking, and here's a little booklet with some scriptures, just might be an encouragement to you, just if I could give you that. Bill, she went ballistic. I mean, this lady, I mean, I'm going to say she was 30, maybe. But she she said, oh, my goodness, I can't believe how dare you try to push your religion on me. I just asked you to watch my stuff. You know, I don't want to hear about any. And I mean, she went off. Mm-hmm. And and I will say that of, you know, millennials and younger that have through public education, 
and really kind of a militant secularism. You know, they've just been told ad infinitum how God isn't real, Christianity is terrible, America is bad. Uh, it really takes relationship to build the trust. And, um, you know, that one of the obstacles, like you mentioned, how can we have a great move of God when such a huge subset of our population, the 100, 100 million strong millennials and younger, many of them, either through their schooling or through websites or whatever, have an overwhelmingly negative bias against the very idea of Christianity. Mm-hmm. It, it's a challenge. Yeah, it's a big challenge. And, you know, when you started that story, Alex, I wasn't sure where, what, where, where it was going when you said, you know, that she had an overwhelming response. I didn't know, was it positive or negative? So you really had, it, uh, had me um, out on a limb yeah. there. Because I've heard, well, I've heard and, stories where that same experience has produced tears. You have no idea how much I, I need God yeah. in my life, and, and then you come along kind of thing. So, um, And, and I've, I've had a lot of those experiences, but, and, and you know, maybe, maybe I was a little bit out of school uh, just offering this lady a gospel booklet. But we had been having some nice conversation, myself and these two guys, and she thanked us for watching her stuff. And I just, I said, um, you know, hey, why do you, uh, we're glad to look at yourself, but, you know, we're just three total strangers. So what, what made you trust us? And she said, well, you just look like nice guys. And I said, well, um, and she asked, you know, what do you do? And I said, well, I, I'm a consultant and I'm trying to help these guys get their church jump started. And uh, here's a little information about our organization and some verses that I think will be an encouragement to you. And I mean, she just, she really was angry, and she hastily gathered up her stuff and left after kind of giving us a little bit of a verbal beatdown. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an extreme case, but believe me, I mean, there are a lot of 20-somethings and younger that really have a bias against God. But, but therein lies an opportunity. I mean, we need the Holy Spirit of God to massively move in our nation, but we also, as, as a church, we've got to show the world that our Savior is authentic, and a, a big part of the way we do that is that we must be authentic. Yeah, and I'm almost guaranteed that you were kind and sincere and probably made nice eye contact with her, and the fact she went off, that's that's her problem. Well, we, we always want to remember that we represent Christ, and we yeah. want to do that to the best of our ability. Yeah. So 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time on uh, Alex McFarland's Facebook page, Rev Alex McFarland. You can catch Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, sounds um, the easiest thing to do is just Rev Alex McFarland on Facebook, right? That's it, man. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah. And Bill, we're, we're definitely praying for Minneapolis. Thank you, Alex, and have a great weekend. I look forward to when we can talk again. God uh, bless. Me too. Alex McFarland has been Bye. my guest. You can head to alexmcfarland.com. And again, his uh, weekly uh, broadcast on Facebook is 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Rev. Alex McFarland. We'll take a short break and be back with Dr. Rebecca Ree.
Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Rebecca Rebeck on the program. She's an author and a blogger. She lives out east and grew up in Puerto Rico. She was the daughter of missionaries. She did her undergrad at Yale and then studied Hebrew at Yale Divinity School and got her master's in art and religion, her PhD in religion and literature at Boston University. <sighs> now I gotta take a break. That's a big introduction. Anyway, she's back with me today. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you for having me again. It's so good to be back. You are such a gift to my listeners because they, they love you, as do Rebecca and I here in the studio, because you uh, are such a brilliant storyteller. And I love your blog, and I recommend it all the time to people. And I'm glad when you come on because we get to hear what's next. Yep. Well, my again, I can't be happier to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And I know you've got uh, a seven-year-old son who has autism, and I came across this great line uh, by this gentleman named Kerry Magro, who's an award-winning speaker, and he said, a person with autism is not misbehaving or choosing to be difficult. They just react to certain things differently. Be patient and kind always. Yes. And you made a nice comment prior to the show saying that applies to everybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I love. That is that is the Jesus way. Yeah. So um, let's talk about uh, your latest piece. Okay. So um, the latest post that I put up is called Bed, bed Sheet Slash Sock. Um, and it's because the two objects that I am meditating on are both a bed sheet and a sock. Um, before, but before getting specific about those two things, I just wanted to back up and say, uh, maybe describe a little bit what life is like in a special needs family situation during the COVID uh, lockdown. Yes, please. Um, I think it's hard for families across the board uh, to be cooped up and um, deprived of their usual uh, routines. But for kids with autism who rely so heavily on structure, routine, and all kinds of professional services that they get at school, it's especially uh world unraveling, if I could say it that way. Yes. Um, so uh, I think mid-March was my son's last day at school, and overnight, everything that made his life his life got yanked. Uh, that's speech, occupational, music therapy. Um, on the weekends, he had special swim lessons. He had a special needs Sunday school. Everything completely, you know, like a, like a house of cards just fell apart. And because he has very limited language, there was really no way for me to explain to him why his world was completely destroyed. Um, and so he's basically trying to – I can't imagine what's going on in his head. He's basically trying to cope day to day when he the, – the structures and the bones of his world aren't there um, to keep – you know, to hold him up and help him move. So he's been acting out more and having more meltdowns and – um, you know, uh, just responding in ways that uh, I can understand and are, and are completely understandable. He's not trying to be difficult, as that gentleman had said in the quote, but it is also, from the parent point of view, it's also very difficult to continually deal with these um, these negative responses and these meltdowns because they're coming so hard and fast now because uh, the longer this goes on. So um, there was something that I noticed in the midst of this uh, maelstrom and that is, as I've been watching my son very closely, I realized um, during this pandemic that I'm, I've been given a front row seat to the drama that is our human condition before God. And let me say that again. As I watch my autistic son 
uh, respond and react to the total upending of his world. I've been given a front row seat to, to our human condition before God. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, sooner or later, uh, we're going to we're going to confront a, a crisis or a problem. And if we're left to our own devices, uh, we react in many of the same ways that he's reacting. We can become destructive. We can become um, over controlling. Right now, he tries to control every little thing that he could possibly control, where his toys are, how his meal comes, little things like that. Um, so we can become overly controlling of the things around us. We can actually start becoming dependent on harmful things just to, to get through his day or get through our own day. So um, we can start uh, isolating from other people and from God. And we, we may even become so agitated and anxious that it's hard to find any rest. So it's a sort of vicious circle of responses if we're left to our own devices. And I think worst of all, if we're stuck in this position for a long time, um, we stop trusting that good will ever return to our lives. And mm -hmm. we stop believing that there's any way for things to get better. So in that sense, we're not so far off from my son. Um, when we're stuck in these um, extreme situations, we can respond like an autistic child. Yeah. So then the question becomes, well, what do we do when that happens? What's really going to help um, if we all find ourselves there? And so the answer to that question, um, I want to say, is, is, is a story. And I'd like to tell the story. And it's about a bed sheet and a sock. So I want to put before you an image of my son's bed. And um, his bed isn't made up in the traditional way. He has a fitted sheet over it that goes down, like most people have a fitted sheet on the bottom of their bed. And then he's got what's called a compression sock. It's like a sock that goes over a foot, only it's a very large sock that goes, it gets pulled up over the top of his bed mattress. So I hope the readers can sort of visualize that. And he sort of slips into it, um, almost like if the mattress were in an envelope and he slips into it. And many people, uh, individuals with autism, like that compression, like that um, sensory pressure against their bodies. It helps them to, to sleep and rest. So that's how his bed has been made up. So um, that was fine and fine and dandy. He was used to sleeping that way. But three or four m months into this lockdown, I would go into his room in the morning and his bed was destroyed. And the, he kept pulling the bottom fitted sheet off. And because of this compression sock, it was very hard to fit it back on in the morning. So I was having quite the mess to clean up every morning um, trying to you know, wrestle this bed back into shape. So I thought to myself, I'm going to scrap this whole thing and I'm going to make up his bed in the quote unquote normal way. I'm going to put a fitted sheet on the bottom. I'm going to get a flat sheet, put that on top of that. And then I'm going to put a comforter. So I went downstairs in my basement. I found my, a box of, you know, linen. I found my grandmother's sheet, a bed sheet that she had had in her home. I washed it. I brought it upstairs, put the bed together like I envisioned it. And in my head, I have these like little fairy tale notions of my son sleeping blissfully in this new, <laughs> new arrangement uh -huh. and, and me walking in in the morning and like in two seconds flat making up the bed and it's all, you know, flowing smoothly. Well, of course, um, that's not what happened. So the first night as um, we went into the bed with the new with the new went to bed with the new arrangement, uh, my son immediately notices the difference. He doesn't nothing gets past him. And in about 30 seconds flat, he's completely destroyed everything. He's just pulled everything apart. It's become this little rat's nest, and he's wrangling the sheets back and forth. 
And I'm sitting on a little stool in front of the bed. And as I'm watching it, Tim do this, something inside of me just crumples. It just, I just want to start weeping. And um, it was quite a strong reaction to, you're like, well, he just pulled his bed sheets off. How serious is that? But I thought, I have to pay attention to that. And I realized that the reason I wanted to weep, it, it was because it was yet one more example of how my kid does not respond to things in quote unquote the normal way. Mm-hmm. And it was one more example of me trying and failing to interact with him as I might interact with a neurotypical child. So um, you'd think after all these years of raising him, I'd sort of have a better idea to train myself out of putting my, these expectations up. But something inside of us always kind of hopes for the ideal thing. And we, I, something in me is, keeps preparing things for a, chi- a child that would uh, react to them in a typical way. Um, so, you know, my, my hopes were dashed. This was a new beginning, Rebecca. Wasn't it? <laughs> Wait, it this was going to be a new uh, beginning. Well, you know what? It, it certainly grabbed my attention. So that's a that would be a vote in that direction. Right. So, but one one thing that it did do for me was this: it got me thinking about the fact that you know I was slamming slamming up against my son's autism yet again. Yeah. And I thought during this hard uh, this this pandemic, there are some also some hard truths that other people are slamming up against yet again and again. And you know, they're maybe they're making and remaking beds that immediately get destroyed despite despite their best efforts. And um, they're putting plans in place that come to nothing. So maybe an example would be, you know, you, you wait in a food line for a long time and it runs out and you're sent home or you're applying for financial assistance online and your application gets denied or you're trying to oversee your kids remote learning and that's not working. You're trying to work from home. Everything's getting frustrated. Um, and maybe even the most serious scenario, you're trying everything in your in your power to save a patient and they don't make it. Um, and you, so you've invested so much in getting things to work out right that you're completely devastated when it falls apart anyway. So then, you know, I think what usually happens to human beings is you start to vacillate between either going numb because you just can't take in anymore or obsessing over these scenarios kind of like thinking, what can I do the next time? What's the key to this puzzle? What can I do differently the next time to get the upper hand of these, you know, uh, uh, unwieldy situations? And of course, we never really do get the upper hand, but that doesn't mean we don't obsess about it. Um, So, you know, I was kind of vacillating myself between these two poles, but, you know, life goes on and we have to move on to the next thing, whether we like it or not. And so not long after the Fed sheet, you know, debacle happened, my next thing was I was hunting for a pair of gym socks in my husband's uh, sock drawer. And I found a pair, you know, you, you kind of, when you fold laundry, you kind of bundle them up in pairs of two. And I picked one out. And as I did that, something fell on the floor and I looked at it. And lo and behold, it was one of my socks from my sock drawer that I had been looking for for a while. It had been missing, but it had somehow, you know, gotten mislaid here. And there it was. It dropped right at my feet. And so I picked it up and I reunited it with its little mate in my drawer. And as I did, I just paused for the briefest and maybe what you call the holiest of those moments when, you know, you just take a breath. And I heard like kind of a voice in my head saying, God keeps track of everything. And in that moment, you know, two things lined up next to each other. One was the bed sheet 
on one side and one was the sock on the other. Suddenly there was a connection between these two things. And while when you look at the bedsheet side, autism may have been saying, you know, there's nothing but bitter disappointment up for you ahead. There's nothing but endless frustration. You're always going to try to put stuff together for him that's going to fall apart. I think what God was saying by just sort of giving me this little piece of the puzzle that I'd been missing, and here he handed it back to me in an unexpected way. I felt like God was saying, I know, you know, I'm here with you. I keep track of it all, and my plans for you don't fall apart. And so what I find remarkable about that sock, um, however small it may be, is that it offered me two very bright points of light in a very dark time. All right. Rebecca, I think that might be a nice place to take a pause, and when we come back, we'll talk about those two points. Does that sound fair? Okay. Sounds fair. Terrific. Dr. Rebecca Ree is my guest. You can head over to RebeccaRee.net to sign up to be on her blog, which I encourage you to do. And her last name is spelled R-H-E-E. So RebeccaRee.net. We'll take a little break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Rebecca Ree as my guest. She uh, comes on the show regularly, and she blogs at her website, of, which is RebeccaRee.net. And you will love her blogs. So if you've uh, been there, you know how wonderful they are. And so right now we're um, chatting about one of her most current ones, and it's called uh, A Bedsheet and a Sock. Um, and we're just getting to the point where we're learning a couple of pretty important lessons. Right before we went to break, Rebecca, you said there are two things, and I can't wait to hear them. Okay, so when I found that sock, it gave me two points of light in a dark time. And the first point of light was that it showed me that God is always looking for an opportunity to answer me in my distress, uh, and that he may speak to me in an entirely different context than the one in which my discouragement happened. So my, my, you know, my inside crumpling happened when I was you know, putting my son to bed. And he actually ended up talking to me while I was, you know, fooling around with the laundry. <laughs> um, that, but he, again, he keeps track. He's, sometimes we kind of throw up a prayer or we don't even throw up the prayer. We just feel a strong emotion and we move on with our, you know, with what, whatever we're contending with. But he, he, he almost like puts a bookmark there and he's looking for a place and a context in which he can actually respond to that. And he knows the, the most perfect context and what's going to have the most impact. And in this case, he wanted to get me to step away from all the drama of the autism and, and the, the pandemic and speak to me in my little walk-in closet there. And so I could hear that still small voice and, and he, telling me that he keeps track of everything. So there's something really comforting about knowing that God is always thinking about my problems. God's always putting that little bookmark, even when I've become too tired and discouraged to think about them anymore. And I've sort of given up hope, not consciously, but kind of unconsciously given up hope about getting any kind of response from him about it. Um, so maybe when you don't get an answer right away to your prayers, and especially your, your more desperate prayers right now, it may be because God is picking his moment. It's not that he's ignoring you. He's waiting for you to go hunt through your own drawer. 
<laughs> I mean, he's he's trying to time it when that still small voice is going to have the greatest impact for you, and your your poor heart is going to be able to absorb it. Because I think when I was sitting in front of my son's bed wanting to weep, my heart was not very absorbent in that moment. So I just want to encourage people that again, if you don't feel like your prayers are getting answered in in that one context in that one moment, just think it's not that God's ignoring you; He's never ignoring you. He's always looking for that perfect opportunity that will have the most impact on your heart. So that was the first point of light that the, the sock offered me. And then the second point of light was, you know, there's a lot of talk out there in popular culture, and I don't want to put it down, but um, there's a lot of talk about there in popular culture about learning to surrender when things get tough. You know, it's kind of like just take a deep breath, let go of the things that are no longer serving you, and, you know, you'll be fine. And I think as a coping mechanism, that kind of practice, is, is just fine. In fact, it's great. Most More of us should you know, learn to um, stop, take a breath, and try to let go of the things that are really uh, 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 agitating us. But in the long run, if you're talking about um, sort of fundamental, you know, the, the fundamental building blocks of your soul, we need something more than that. And in the long run, you can only truly surrender your situation when you know whom you're surrendering it to. There has to be a person on the other end of that surrender, not just the act of surrender. Um, and to put it another way, it's like it would be a lot easier to release your retirement funds, let's say, everything you've ever saved up your whole life, if you know who's taking charge of the account, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's as simple as that. So there was a poet um, centuries and perhaps even millennia ago um, in the Bible that says it more beautiful. He, he or she wrote, my times are in your hands. Maybe you've heard that um, verse before. And if you go ahead and read that Psalm, it's from Psalm 31. And I highly recommend that it get you read that Psalm during this time. If you go through it, you hear that the poet is really wrestling through giving his struggles over to God. Um, he's really wrestling through that um, surrender. And in one verse, he's hollering for help. And in the next verse, he's saying hallelujah, sort of in advance of his rescue, thinking hallelujah, because I know you're going to do this for me. I may not see it yet, but I know you're going to do this for me. So he goes back and forth between these two poles of, you know, help me and hallelujah. And whatever he's dealing with, I'm not sure what it is. It seemed to me that it was on the same level of seriousness as a developmental disorder or a deadly virus. You know, he is fighting tooth and nail towards God, um, and he has this conception of God who keeps track of his past, present, and future all of his time. Um, and that's a beautiful uh, psalm to go through and to see that, um, that, that uh, back and forth and that, that determination to turn that over, to have that surrender with God. But I want to mention something else about that psalm that I found absolutely remarkable, which is this, that of all the things Jesus could have said when he breathed his last breath on the cross, he chooses to quote from this exact psalm, this surrender psalm. He says what, you know, we all know, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And that, those very words appear just a little further down after the, the poet writes, my times are in your hands. So Jesus himself recognized 
when he had reached his absolute limit and needed his father to take over. Um, you know, again, he's not just surrendering, like, for the act or the sake of surrendering. He's surrendering his life and all that he's about to his father. There's a, a definite person on the other end of that. Um, and his prayer reminds us that when we've reached our limit, we're not surrendering our times into a black hole. You know, rather we are placing all that we are, all that we hope for, you know, very thoughtfully, very carefully, and sometimes very desperately into the hands of our creator. And we are trusting him to create something really, really good out of what we've relinquished. Um, so, and I wanted to, you know, when I saw that, I was like, you know, if Jesus needed to do this, then I have permission to do it too. And if, if for Jesus, it too was a process of getting there, then that is, you know, there for me too. That's okay for me to, to wrestle through that too. But I can trust the same father that Jesus trusted when he, when his time came to surrender. Um, so I just want to encourage anyone out there, um, Bill, any of your listeners that, you know, anyone who's reached their absolute limit as Jesus did, that if you can't make one more bed and watch it come undone, you know, if you look inside your soul and there are no hallelujahs in that gas tank, there's only help, 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 you know, only pleas for help. And maybe not even that if you're too tired, that, you know, maybe it's time to consider that um, you need a, a source outside of yourself where you can go and start that process of surrender and get help, um, you know, and, and to recognize that it is a process. It might take lots of little parts. You know, it might start with you just journaling and it might start with you praying specifically yourself about it. Then maybe going to somebody else and praying with that person or talking to a friend or a minister or even a professional, but that, that that's something we need to seriously consider as part of being humans made in the image of God that that is what Jesus said. He had his people around him. He had his father before him. And that's what we need to. Um, so, you know, just to say, remember, it's not your job to make it all come out right in the end. It's your job to remember that it's God's. Do what you can to turn things over to him. It's such a such an important point, Rebecca. And, and I, when you speak, I sometimes think of Proverbs 25, 11, uh, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. You have a way of putting stuff in context. What you said is so important, and yet the image that you put in my mind, I now know I will never get out. <laughs> well, and if I might add one more thing, and it's, it's, a difficult, it, it's a difficult thing, but I think it's always good for us as Christians as we're trying to mature to put those goalposts ahead of us and say, you know, I want to mature to that place, which is, um, I think we're in the best place when we've laid out that effort, you know, when we've put that investment down or we've, and it could be a very good and proper thing that we're doing. I'm not saying, you know, we're trying to be controlling. I'm saying you've put forth that effort, whatever it is that you need to do. If you can somehow try to begin the process surrender there, like let go of the outcome or the result of that effort and give that to God instead of always trying to track what's going to happen and control how that outcome is going to be. Um, and, you know, just to prove a point, in the end, the bed sheet that I put on my son's bed did end up help him, helping him from destroying the bed every morning. He just balls it up in this little ball and he puts it by his head. And that's how he decided to use the bed sheet. So, you know, 
I didn't, I can't control that outcome, but God, I certainly ended up blessing it in a, in a way I couldn't have envisioned. So that's something to think about too, just letting, letting go of what that result's going to look like, even as we're like um, making the effort. And I love this line in your blog, uh, maybe keep a back door open and a porch light on at all times for a hand to help you and a voice to reach you because the intervention you are seeking may come in a totally different context than the one in which you've been struggling. That still small voice, we never know when it's going to appear. Yeah, but when it does connect to you, it's God's perfect timing, and the effect on you is pretty profound, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. And then then we're able to share that little light with somebody else. Yeah. Rebecca, it's always so nice to have you on the show. I look forward to every time you come on, because I learn so much, and your your words and your images really stick with me, and I know it, it did the listeners as well. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Rebecca Rhea has been my guest. You can head over to her website, RebeccaRhee.net, and her last name is spelled R-H-E-E, so RebeccaRhee.net. You can get on her mailing list all for free, and she'll send you the most current blog uh, sent right to your email. I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you missed any, you can head to MyFaithRadio.com. Check it out. Also, a reminder, I'll be moving starting Monday, 4 to 6, right between that late afternoon and early evening nap. Thank you for being such faithful listeners and supporters. It is time to ring the bell. Have a great weekend. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.